This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly talking about today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I'm Rob Pacienza. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John Rabe, and today joined by the executive director of the Providence Forum, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. John and Jerry, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be here, Jerry. Good to have you with us as well. Uh, You are, Jerry is, of course, our resident. We we say resident. He works here with us, but Jerry is a nationally recognized expert on America's Christian history, best-selling author, along with uh, uh, Dr. Peter Lilbach, who's on our board of directors. They wrote the book, uh, George Washington's Sacred Fire, which went to it went to number one, at least went to number two, I know, on Amazon.com for a week or so. Number one. I, the, the number one selling book on all of Amazon uh, in the, what give or take 2010 in that ballpark. Uh, so a, a major expert in America's Christian yep. history, and he's right here with us. Author, thought leader, producer for the program Truths to Transform. Uh, but today we, wanna, we want him to wear his Providence Forum hat. Uh, Providence Forum, uh, you can find all of their information and resources blog post at providenceforum.org, Jerry? Yes, that's right. Yep. And as I said, Jerry Newcomb is the executive director of that ministry. Uh, Gentlemen, we're in the early part of July. Uh, Of course, July is known for July 4th, Independence Day, and unfortunately, a day that should be uh, celebrated by all Americans uh, to understand and remember our rich history as a nation over the last 250 years. Unfortunately, today in our schools, uh, our universities, the mainstream media, there's many that would like to whitewash our history as a nation, uh, particularly when it comes to the Christian foundations and the Christian heritage uh, as, a, as a nation. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about America's Christian heritage being under attack, but what can we uh, do about it? It's an important. It's an important topic, and and let me have you, Jerry, as the executive director of the Providence Forum, explain to us why it's important. Because there is, you could look at this and say, well, okay, you guys are are talking about history stuff that happened in the ballpark now of almost two hundred and fifty years ago, um, and so we're quibbling about ancient history. Who cares? But this stuff really does matter for today. It's how we look at what happened in not just Philadelphia in 1776, although that's kind of the capstone of it. That's the the moment that we pay tribute to. Uh, But as we look at that, why do those events matter? Why do getting those, uh, why does getting those events right matter to us today? Well, it matters because our freedom is at stake. I think America can be encapsulated really in two phrases, and they encapsulate the main idea of the Declaration of Independence, which is self-rule under God, Hmm. the consent of the governed, we the people. Now, we the people, of course, comes in the Constitution 13 years later or 12 years later, but the bottom line is uh, we uh, have this gift from God and the the founders, they didn't say or they didn't make it so that we have the rights from God. They acknowledged what already existed. In fact, they said they're basing this on the laws of nature and of nature's God. And to really understand the Declaration of Independence, it's helpful to understand some of the Christian sources that Jefferson drew from. But why it matters 
is because of our freedom. And if we lose, ultimately, in this battle, there's a war against America as founded, waged, frankly, by Marxists that, you know, in the the faculty lounges of many of the great universities in America, many of which were founded by Christians for Christian purposes. But today, they represent, you know, the, the exact opposite of those views. But the bottom line is, if we lose America as founded, we lose the freedoms of that. You know, the 20th century is just filled with experiments of, of different Marxist-type revolutions, the, the Soviet Union, uh, the Nazi Germany, all these different things. And at the end of the day, all they really ended up with was lots and lots of people killed, people losing their liberties, sure. their life, their liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, meaning you know, the, even the ability to, to, uh, to make ends meet and put food on your table. Yeah, it's, it's really the experiments to create a purely secular state. And we see what yeah. has happened over the last hundred years. Yes. Hundreds of millions of people slaughtered at the hands of uh, totalitarian governments. Uh, when we see, we see what happens when God is removed from the public square, it, it results in absolute yeah. chaos. Dr. D. James Kennedy once put it this way. He said, if you have a totally secular state, the problem with that is for the people living in, in there, they have no higher appeal to. Yeah. In other words, you can't appeal to a, you know, a higher authority government-wise. And in fact, the founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they appealed their intentions to the supreme governor or supreme judge of the universe. So let's talk about that. Jesus. So let, let, let's talk about the founding doc. One of the founding documents, the Declaration of Independence. Where could somebody? What are some of the things? If somebody was to go back listening to this podcast, they were to pull up the Declaration of Independence. Talk to us about some of the some of the references to God and the sure. rights that come directly from God in that document alone, because I do think it's significant. Absolutely. Uh, four times God is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. And it, it, you know, some of the key wording begins this way, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, mm-hmm. that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that's one or two of the references to God, but it also talks about, as I said a moment ago, that they were appealing their intentions to the supreme judge of the world. They also refer to the laws of nature and of nature's God. And then also at the end, they say, with a firm reliance on divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. And actually, many of them did pay a price, mainly in that fortunes area where they were they were targeted by the British, and they uh, you know lost their property because the British went and attacked them. And as an example. Reverend John Witherspoon, who signed the Declaration of Independence, who was the president yep. of, of Princeton. And, and he, Presbyterian minister. Let's Presbyterian minister, there. absolutely. And in, in fact, he was one who trained a lot of the, the only founding. The only minister to sign the Declaration of Independence. Right, the only ordained minister. Ordained now, minister. meanwhile, 27 of the 56 men who gave us the Declaration of Independence, 27 of them had the equivalency of seminary degrees. So sure. they were trained in a biblical worldview. Sure. As, as Dr. Donald S. Lutz once put it, he said the founding fathers, even the more secular ones, the, the few, the two or few, three that had whacked out views or whatever, <laughs> they knew the Bible down to their fingertips. Absolutely. These are theological propositions that are being well, because, set forth in the deck. Well, back then, all those men were classically trained. Right. Yes. And they all, they all were required to learn theology. Yes. Which is interesting. And that's a 
another topic for another day, but it does say, say something about what has happened even in education in the West. That's, uh, that's you know, theology so at one point was yeah. called the queen of sciences. Uh, lawyers and doctors and educators and uh, farmers and landowners, they all had a theological foundation that they were given in school. I mean, even now when the children <laughs> come out and they have robes and they have the mortar, the, you know, yeah. the Yahtzee caps, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> even now, that actually gets back to theological things, yeah. that, that the ministers were being trained and so they would they would have the robes, and so that's why that's the, the graduating. Now going class back to the Declaration robes. of Independence, even the concept of divine providence, I think that's an important point for our audience to listen to. Uh, often you hear that the that the God that the majority of the founders conceived of and believed in was a deistic God, mm -hmm. uh, but a divine providence speaks to a God that is providential and active in the affairs of man. That's exactly uh, right. active in the nation and in. The, in the kind of the foundation of the nation and the flourishing of the nation that they recognize that the providential hand of God must be on this nation in order for it to flourish. So far from a deistic view of God was a theistic view of God, a uh, God true. that was actively sovereign and judging and um, active in the affairs of our nation. When Dr. Loback and I wrote the book together called George Washington's Sacred Fire, you know, basically in effect, you could ask or you could retitle that book, you know, was George Washington a Christian? And the answer is, yes, he most certainly was a Christian. But one of the things that, that I find fascinating that he brought to the table, he said that a that hundred times George Washington used the word God in his writings and so forth. 270 times he used the word providence, which is a fancy way of saying his, God. It was his favorite doctrine. Yes, but this was a God that that heard and answered mm -hmm. prayers. Was active. An was active, active God. In, in, in George Washington's first inaugural address, he says, nobody should be more grateful than the people of the United States to God for him helping us to create our own government, you know, in freedom and in peace and so forth. Yeah. So he he basically said Americans should be grateful. And I think we live instead in an era of of the ungrateful American. Mm. We have a great gift. And as D. James Kennedy once put, it's kind of sifting through our fingers like sand if we're not careful to preserve it for the next generation. What happens now, of course, uh, in our modern setting is that the founders are dismissed mainly because of the slavery issue. Uh, we look back and say, okay, well, Whatever the the Declaration of Independence said, whatever the Constitution said, this is this late 1700s. You have um, the slave trade happening in America. You have many of these founders owning slaves, and so we dismiss everything that they have to say. We would have to look back on it and certainly admit to the 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 vast blind spots that these men who themselves were sinners and knew it and built a government designed to balance out sinners um, but these we have to recognize that these men sinned greatly um but this idea that because they sinned in this way that we should completely flush them down the memory hole seems to me to ignore a lot of the history that says okay 
but take them in their time period and look at the entire rest of the world. Right. These guys were way on the cutting edge of starting to move away from this system well before anybody else in the world was. So it's a little unfair, as awful and evil as chattel, human chattel slavery was. It seems disingenuous to hold them up to today's standards when, by the world's standards then, they were way ahead of the pack. That is so true. And they set up the framework by which slavery could one day be dealt with. Absolutely. And and it was. Sure. And and in fact, just to give an example, uh, George Washington, George Mason, and Thomas Jefferson were among other Virginian members of the House of Burgesses, their form of uh, representatives and so forth. And in 1774, so two years before the Declaration of Independence, they created something called the Fairfax Resolves. And if the Fairfax Resolves could have been allowed to go into effect, it would have nullified and cut off the slave trade in Virginia. And the king said, no, you, you can't do that. You're, you're my subjects. You've got to stick with this. And in the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson has a beautiful, very strong, aggressive passage in there decrying slavery. And if he had his druthers, it would have been done away with. Now, people will say, well, but Jefferson owned slaves. Jefferson owned slaves, yes. And he also was obviously uncomfortable with that. And bottom line is, you know, as, as Prager puts it in one of our videos, mm-hmm. he says, uh, one of our videos for ProvidenceForum.org, Dennis Prager says, you know, the fact that Jefferson didn't live up to the ideals that he himself espoused doesn't mean that the ideals he espoused are, are bad. Mm-hmm. He said that's between Jefferson and God as far as him and his, sure. his own morality. But between Jefferson and me is, did he not help create this great government of freedom yep. that one day indeed dealt with Absolutely. With what was Abraham Lincoln looking back to during the emancipation of slaves in America? He was looking back to the Declaration of Independence exactly. and the system of government and the nation that was founded where all men were created. Equal. It wasn't for that founding document and our founding fathers and the influence that they left in the 18th century, we would not have had the emancipation of slaves in in the 19th century. As Martin Luther King Jr. put it, he said, you know, in effect, the founding fathers gave to us a promissory note in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. Now we're cashing in on that promissory yep. note. And he was right. It is, it, it is not opinion. It is fact that it is the Judeo-Christian worldview of the image of God in all people uh, that influenced the emancipation in America, the, the end of the slave trade in Britain under William Wilberforce, That's and exactly. the 1960s civil rights movement in, in, in this nation under Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was an ordained minister. If it was not for Christianity, uh, the events throughout the world, but particularly the great events in America, would would not have happened. I once took the time to watch about two hours of just raw footage from Martin Luther King Jr. And it was really enlightening, but it was a religious movement. I mean, so many of the people involved were priests or nuns or whatever. When he gets to Selma, when he finally gets to the other side of the bridge, he gets up there and he opens up a hymnal inside a church. He's in a pulpit. Of course, he was a Baptist minister. And he reads from the words, once to every man and nation Mm -hmm. by James Russell Lowell, one of the greatest hymns ever written. And it's an American hymn, too. It's so great. But, you know, one of the things, one of the lines in there, it says, 
Though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. Though truth's portion be the scaffold and upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. Yeah, that's good. Even the, uh, as you pointed out, both of you, the civil rights movement is premised upon this Martin Luther King Jr. does not reject the founders and say, forget those bunch of slave owners. Yeah. Instead, he calls us back to their principles and says, let's put those into action. Perfect. But you now, you, you move ahead even today, 2023 in this world today, in places where the gospel has not gone, you still in many places in the world today have slavery right now in 2023. So to, to, to sort of dismiss the founders based on an anachronistic understanding when it's actually Actually, uh, the the gospel itself, and then and then governors like the founders who put systems into place to to banish it uh, that that caused us to get rid of it around the world. But you, you mentioned your mentor, my mentor, all three of our mentor, uh, the late Dr. D. James Kennedy. He would frequently say, and to no little controversy, America is a Christian nation, and uh, that often raised a ruckus. Uh, it raises a ruckus even now. Jerry, even what, more so now. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. did he mean by that, and was he right? He was definitely right. What he meant by that was that it began as a Christian nation, that that the, the foundation that we have is that way. And I would encourage anybody... He never meant that every single person in America oh. was a Christian or that you had a church running the government. Oh, no. Never. Oh, no. Dr. Kennedy was very much opposed to the idea of a, of a theocracy and so forth, but he was absolutely in favor of the idea of Christianizing as many people in America as possible. And and, and around the world as well. But also, he was absolutely in favor of, and he helped promote the idea that the reality that it was Christianity that helped give birth to America in a unique way. Yep. The Trinity decision of 1892 by the Supreme Court says this is a Christian nation. And they don't just say it out of a vacuum. They say it after quoting all kinds of different charters and, and uh, you know, compacts and frames of government, early documents in the American experience showing that the people who founded so many of these different colonies did so for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian That's faith. Mayflower they, Compact. Yeah, exactly. Yep. To quote yep. the, the, the pilgrims. In fact, the Avalon Project of Yale University has online all the key documents, you know, that we're referencing to. But I would, I would definitely encourage anybody, just go online, look at Church of the Holy Rector or, the, uh, you know, of the Trinity and look at that decision versus the United States, 1892. Yeah, and just Trinity, Trinity decision probably will find it for you. Exactly. Right. And just read the actual words by Associate Justice David Brewer. It's a very compelling argument. And yeah. it's just one example after another. Yeah, John, like you said, and I, I think we need to emphasize this. We're not, we're not saying that every founder was an evangelical right. Christian. Oh, no. What we are saying is that it is absolutely true that the Judeo-Christian worldview was the foundational worldview oh. that influenced influenced all of our founders, our founding documents, and uh, the system of government that led to 250 years of flourishing. America has really gone astray because of education. The founding fathers had a thoroughly 
biblical education. Absolutely. And so, for example, when they were even learning their ABCs, many of them, especially from the New England area, they learned theological truths and so forth. In the New England primer, uh, they all the great colleges were founded by Christians for Christian purposes. Yeah, you look at the charter of Harvard, um, Yale, founded by the Congregationalists, I believed. Uh, Princeton, Princeton, founded by the Presbyterians. These were all founded by, I I, want to say, um, sometime in the 1800s, I think, of all the colleges and universities found in America, about 80% of them were founded by churches or Christian denominations. So that, that, that just goes back to talking about our Christian heritage as a nation and the influence of the Judeo-Christian worldview on our nation. And that's why this is this is such an important conversation for Christians to be having today. And it wasn't just a mamby-pamby type Christian education. I mean, I just read recently <laughs> about, no, I just read about a Christian college yeah. where they said, well, we're not going to let promise keepers come and speak to our uh, students because they believe in marriage, you know, as one be, being between one man yeah. and one woman, and that God only made two genders, or there's only two sexes. Um, so we can't have promise keepers. What? Yeah. I mean, you know, these those early Christian colleges in America stood firm on the the Bible. Absolutely. And, and talk, because <laughs> theology. Yeah, because exactly. and because they understood that the yeah. deep theology and the deep theological convictions were at the bedrock and foundation exactly. of our system of government. Yeah. We've got to believe in the sovereignty of God. We've got to understand the providence of God. We need to understand total depravity, the, yes. hence the reason for checks and balances. We need to understand so. Romans 13, a limited government that is under the authority and hand of God. They needed to understand Conscience their Bible and freedom and religious liberty. And uh, that's why this is such an important conversation for the church today. And that's where we really do need to nail it down because this is, people today often just have no understanding of the Christian ferment that was taking place that allowed these ideas to be born. Um, And and there's no question that the enlightenment played a role in it. But I think that the, the, the common idea today is that these guys were enlightenment thinkers pure rationalists who didn't really believe in the supernatural, but because they were products of their times, they maybe occasionally slapped uh, a Bible verse onto something. That's That really doesn't get the history right, does it? No, it doesn't. And in fact, I think Dr. the late Michael Novak is to be thanked on this point. He said, look, when you look at Enlightenment thinkers and writers, he said, really, there's two types of them. They'll put John Locke and William Blackstone and Montesquieu, Mm. all of whom were Christians and their worldview was Christian, they'll often categorize them as Enlightenment thinkers. In the meantime, you have people like Voltaire, Diderot, uh, David Hume that were definitely atheists. They were anti-God. And in fact, those guys, Rousseau, they influenced and helped create the intellectual foundation for the French Revolution, which was anti-God. In contrast, America's founders relied on the Bible and Christian thinkers like, um, you know, Blackstone and so forth. The Blackstone, for example, that phrase, uh, you know, according to the laws of nature and of nature's God, that is Blackstonian to the core. <laughs> Absolutely. Not only did our founders rely on the Bible, but that, as you just said, the, the great Christian thought leaders, theologians, William Wilberforce, Jonas Clark, uh, what, what became known as the Black Robe Regiment, the founders were dependent upon men in the pulpit speaking truth to power exactly. concerning the virtues and the values and the issues concerning uh, the revolution. 
Yeah, and of course, the the British parliamentarian said of America, you know, uh, America's run off with a Presbyterian parson. Uh, they saw it. They called it the Presbyterian revolt yes. uh, for a long time. And so uh, the, the the simple fact is, and, and that opens up another interesting discussion that we have no time here for, but there are a lot of people confused today, including some very well-known preachers who will say, well... Things we're, we're fortunate things turned out well, but really it was an unbiblical revolution. The revolution, the the leaders of America's war for independence were violating Romans 13 and doing the wrong thing. And I, I think that's that's a, a wildly uh, incorrect understanding and a, and a misapplication, a misunderstanding of what they were about and what was actually happening there. That's a discussion for another day. But yeah, at, at the bottom line of all of this is that this is a a profoundly Christian movement, even if not everyone involved was a, a, a born-again Christian, uh, you know, Ben Franklin, who was, a, a, a you know, in some ways, who was a deist, who was a skeptic, knew his Bible better than most pastors know their Bible today. And, and so these were people who were soaked in this. And not only is that true about Franklin, that he was skeptical and so forth, but he knew his Bible well, but during the Constitutional Convention, as things were really kind of grinding down to a halt with all the different, you know, f- tempers flaring and so forth, it was very hot. They had the, the windows all closed. They didn't want anybody to hear the proceedings. He got up there on June 28th after several weeks, and he basically gives this long, impassioned speech saying, essentially, we need to pray. I have lived for a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this, that God governs in the affairs of men. That's no deistic nope. view, not at all. Worldview at all, and he he goes on to say, you know, if a sparrow cannot fall without God's notice, how can an empire Which rise without words. His aid? Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well. The, 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 there's several Bible verses he quotes in there, like yeah, we, unless only... the Lord builds a house. Yep. Those that labor, I wish we labor had skeptics vain. like that. Now I wish we had believers like yeah, that. Now. Yeah, that's <laughs> Absolutely. right. That's exactly Well, right. Jerry, we're going to have to bring you back. This is a fascinating conversation. I think for our audience, I, the biggest thing I want them to take away is this, that America as a case study serves as an incredible example if we truly tell the the, the story of our founding the, 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 in a way that is accurate and God-honoring, it serves as an incredible case study for what happens when Christians get engaged in the public square. Mm. And I, I really do believe that the leaders of our secular movements in culture and society right now, one of the reasons they're trying to erase our history is to, is to show this generation or maybe prove to this generation that you, you need not be involved in culture. You need not be involved in the public square, because if we can erase our Christian Christian heritage as a nation, uh, then really, why should we be engaged? Why should we be involved? But I think when we really begin to unpack some of the things that were mentioned today, we can see w- what can happen yet again, uh, that uh, God is on his throne and he's working through his church. And when the church uh, speaks truth to power, incredible things can happen. Amen. That is so true. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this City of God podcast. This is a weekly podcast, so make sure you go to cityofgodpodcast.com where you can uh, preview and review all previous uh, podcasts. Also, make sure you check out the video version on our YouTube page. And please, if you benefited from this conversation on America's Christian heritage, please pass this podcast along to family and friends and uh, make sure that you tune in to listen to this podcast every week, either on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you once again for joining us. Hopefully you join us next week, and may God richly bless you.